morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11 in the Common English Bible. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and servants, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. I am glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you, because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters, and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory and praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to be together again this morning. Um, some of you know that Sylvia and I were gone last week. A wonderful time in Kentucky with our family. And also, this may come as a very big surprise to you, but um, last week I celebrated with a group of others who uh, also graduated with me from seminary, and we celebrated 50 years. Uh, I know, I know I'm not old enough for that, but that's the reality. And we had a wonderful time with our our children also. uh, Said goodbye to our son and daughter-in-law who have lived right in the little city with us for uh, five years. And they're moving to North Carolina, so the next time we see them will be in North Carolina. Fortunately, it's only about a five-hour trip away. Uh, aren't you excited about what the kids are doing just to give us a good time? I, I know they also are raising money, and that's very important. So make your contributions large, but all these fun things that we get to do because we need to raise money to see that they can go to this great conference. We really have a fantastic group of young people. Uh, not incidentally, when you see Caleb Pook, Make sure you congratulate him. So over the weekend, he competed in three events, three track events in the state, the state finals, finished in the, what, the top four or five in all three, including being second in the state in the pole vault, almost first. So just really, really awesome. Uh, Caleb, yeah, we're proud of you. And those of you who have had anything to do with athletics know that this represents a fantastic amount of work. My guess is a lot of fun, too, 
but a tremendous amount of work on his part. I also want to just encourage you to be here Friday night for, uh, for Rick Reynolds' uh, retirement party. Uh, I was so thankful that he could preach for us last week. Uh, I was blessed to listen online to his sermon uh, and just, among other things, celebrated that this good man not only has worked the streets of Seattle for 28 years trying to bless people who have very few blessings, but also that he's been part of us and represents the very best of what we want to be in our community. Not the only thing, but, but the very best of what we want to be. So if you have opportunity, uh, be here Friday night just to tell him how much you appreciate what he has done for Jesus. And the ministry of Operation Night Watch is not, um, you know, it's not fading away. Uh, I didn't get the other day to um, meet, actually, the new director. I waved to him. He was in a car on his way to try to get some checks. Their payroll system had sort of aborted for a while. Any of you who are in business know these horrible things happen from time to time. But Rick is very excited about the gentleman who's going, is taking over the ministry uh, as of the first uh, of June. So we, we want to continue to pray for that and also encourage it. This morning, I wanted to begin a series of five messages taken from the little book of the Bible called Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. I want to do it for a number of reasons. Among them, realizing that not just we as a local congregation, but that the Christian church at large all over our world, but perhaps particularly here in the United States, is going through a major kind of transition, a post-pandemic transition. And we are not we are not sure all of what this is going to mean. What we do know is that it'll present new challenges and it also will present some wonderful new opportunities. And one of the important things for us to do as a congregation is to reaffirm who we are in Christ Jesus and what, are, what is the power that we depend on as we move forward into God's future for us. And so in these five messages, I want to take us to five great affirmations. You might call them Paul's reality check for the church at Philippi. One of the reasons why I love the book of Philippians is it's not a book written or a letter written to a problem church. You know, there were some problem churches, but the church in Philippi was not a problem church. This is a letter to those of us who don't want to be a problem. And I believe it includes all of us this morning. But still, if we don't focus on what God wants to do, we are going to be distracted by so many other things in life. So this morning, we're looking particularly at the first 11 verses of the first chapter of Philippians. And the, uh, the reality check, sort of the statement of reality that I want us particularly to look at this morning is in verse 6, 
where Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we as believers in Christ, as followers of the King, we have plenty of responsibilities in life. This verse, though, does not point to our responsibilities. It points to God's responsibility that once we become part of his kingdom, he takes a personal responsibility to make sure certain things happen. Now, next week, we're going to get into another statement of reality that talks a bit more about what our responsibility is. But I think Paul wanted to begin, as he talked to these good people in Philippi, but by reminding them of certain things that they didn't need to worry about taking care of, that God was in the process of completing certain things, and he was going to do it. Um, you know, every once in a while in life, I find myself worrying about something. Any of you ever worry about anything? Yeah, I know. And... Um, the, the really beautiful thing, and now it doesn't happen every time, but it does happen quite often, that in the middle of struggle, you know, worry is something that goes on in your head. Usually it's about something you have very little control over. At least you don't have control over the thing you're worrying about. And, um, but it sort of possesses you for a while. And every once in a while, in the middle of one of those moments, it's almost like God whispers in my ear and says, Art, you're doing it again. This is not something you can control or you can solve. I've got this. You know, that's one of the greatest messages you ever can get from God. God saying to you, about something that for whatever reason has begun to possess you in an unhealthy way, he says to you, with your first name, I've got this. And that's what I believe Paul is talking about here. He has this confidence that he can deal with, and his Philippian friends can deal with some of these huge challenges of life. Now, at least for me, one of the first questions I have when I read a verse like that sixth verse is, how in the world did Paul come to this kind of confidence in terms of what God was going to do for the church in Philippi? How did he come to that kind of confidence? Well, he actually begins this little letter reminding us of how he came to that kind of confidence in the reality of God's work. He begins by saying, of course his name, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And this is interesting for several reasons. One is, many of Paul's letters, he begins by giving his name and then saying, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apparently in those situations, 
Paul had to establish the fact that he had some authority with these people, probably not only because God was leading him in life, but because he had been the founding, so to speak, pastor or missionary of that group of people. But in this case, Paul doesn't say that at all. Apparently, the Philippians weren't struggling with their relationship with Paul. They knew he loved them. He, they knew he cared for them and wanted only the best for them. But what Paul did need to emphasize was his relationship with Christ. He said, I am a slave of Christ. You may have noticed in... Um, a number of the translations, we have a hard time using that word slave. I think the NIV says servant, which is a very good word, but has, does not have the same kind of impact that the word slave does. When Paul said slave, he meant slave. He was in an age when there were many slaves. We live in a time when the word slave still has a lot of bring and power and and hook to it, doesn't it? Because in our own culture, we realize we're still living with so many of the, of the ongoing problems and difficulties, disadvantages, because our culture and our economy was built on a slave economy, especially in the, in the Eastern South. Paul, Paul's slavery was much like that. There was nothing fun about it. But here Paul takes this word, this word slave, and he gives it a totally different connotation. Not a slave of somebody who's ruining your life or taking advantage of you, but the same kind of absolute obedience and ownership to someone who has only the very best in mind for them. Paul says, I'm simply a slave. So he begins by celebrating that relationship. Part of the reason why Paul could be so confident of what God was going to do was that he knew he was under, under the authority of Jesus Christ. He was a slave of Christ Jesus. So that's part of the reason. The other other major part of this reason is actually in the second part of this first verse, where he says to all God's people in Christ Jesus. Now, actually, that particular translation of the verse, the one we have in our pew Bibles, is a very legitimate translation, but I don't think has the kind of punch, or at least brings the kind of questions, if we read it carefully, that some of the other translations. So, um, what, the KJV was saints, right? Uh, some of the newer translations use this word, saints. It's, it's a very appropriate word. Or God's holy people is another way that it's translated. What it emphasizes is not just that we are loved by God because every human being is loved by God, but that we have a special relationship with God because we have come into relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, I understand why the word saints might not be a great translation to start with. In fact, it reminds me of one of my earliest memories in life. I just don't have very many memories, preschool memories, but what I do remember 
is being in the little church where my family worshiped. This was in a small city in upstate New York. And when I was just, I was just big enough to see over the top of the pews, you know, and there were these, there were these two ladies that, uh, and maybe none of you have ever seen this. Uh, you would have to be certainly over 50 of ever experiencing this, but at any rate, these two ladies never wore anything but black. Is, is this totally new to all of you? Maybe. So I was very young. This was not yesterday, okay? So I look over the pew, and these, these ladies, apparently at that time, that was seen as a, a holier way to dress. It was almost like a free Methodist burqa. I don't know. Anyway, always black. They, nobody said they had to do this, but apparently earlier in life, somebody had convinced them that this was a way to represent their sincerity in Jesus Christ. So I would look over the pews, and I would be really impressed by these women because every week they, they wore only the color black, and I'd look over the pew, and, and my mom realized my curiosity about this. And one day she whispered and said to me, those are the saints. I have to smile and laugh too because they were no more saints than my parents were. A New Testament saint is, is not somebody who's died and has made, done a lot of miracles like, you know, some, some Christian traditions today have saints in that way. But really the New Testament definition of saint was simply someone who was living in Christ Jesus was living in Christ Jesus like a bird lives in the air, or a fish lives in the sea, or, or a plant, its roots live in the soil. And in that kind of way, that's what a saint was. And, and Paul says, I, I have this confidence that, that Christ is going to bring to completion what he's begun, because not only am I a slave to Jesus, I've given the responsibility ultimately for my eternal destiny to Jesus. I'm trusting him each day, but also because I'm living among these people who are saints. Not because of what they wear, just because they love Jesus and they are following him. Paul is saying to these Philippians, you can grab a hold of life and live life intentionally, regardless of the circumstances that are around you. Several years ago, uh, Sylvia and I went to visit some good friends of ours who lived in Middle Tennessee. Um, young couple with a preschool daughter. And the woman in this couple was suffering from cancer, uh, cancer that would in a few months take her life. And so all of us who knew this wonderful young couple were grieving and just wanting to be supportive. And I, I always remember going and visiting them and spending some time with them. It was just really a delightful, delightful experience. And I'll particularly remember one part of our conversation when after we talked about many things and realized we never really had talked about the, so to speak, the elephant in the room, I said, Carol, uh, how are you doing? And what I'll always remember are the first words that she spoke. She said, Art, I have decided to live. Now she was not denying this, this life-wrenching disease that was in her that would take her physical life. 
in only a few months. She wasn't denying the kind of sort of grief she was already experiencing because she would never see her little girl grow up to be a woman and be there for the wedding or those sorts of things. She wasn't denying that, but what she was saying, I think, is very close to what Paul is trying to emphasize for us here. She was saying, for whatever moments God gives me in life, I am going to live intentionally, I'm going to live with expectations for good, and I am going to watch and see what God does, and then one day I'll spend eternity with him. I have decided to live. The the Apostle Paul was not on a beach somewhere relaxing when he wrote this letter. Many of you know Philippians is called a prison epistle for a very good reason. It's written, it's called a prison epistle because Paul was in prison at the time. When he talks about being a prisoner in this letter, this is not a euphemism. This is an actual fact. He was in prison, probably in Rome, and he really didn't know whether he ever would be released or even would lose his life while he was there. In the middle of that, Paul said, I've decided to live. And we have our challenges, don't we, today? I mean, like you just have to be alive and look at what's happening around us. I was thinking about Memorial Day and remembering those who have given so much in order to protect our country around the world and, and, and how, although it's not like we've gone through the Second World War where a whole generation of young men have come back, many of them wounded and broken, but, but we live in a time when when often, when we send our young men and women to another part of the world, they come back, they come back broken. One of my own nephews took his own life because of some of the struggles that he was dealing with after being in the, in the military. Um, there are so many issues. We live in a world where we don't know, in a part of the world where we don't know how to control guns. We literally don't know how to control them. So young people can go into schools and, and massacre babies. We, we live in a world where we're trying to deal with some of these cultural issues. And we, as a church, are desperately saying, how can we be Jesus in this place? And on top of that, we have a pandemic and a pastoral transition. You know, you could get discouraged over such things, couldn't you? That's exactly what Paul was dealing with. I mean, in terms of big issues. With all the pain in the world, Paul is saying, there are some things we know for sure, and I will live and die on the basis of these things, and you can too. He, he ends this passage that we read this morning with a glorious prayer. Um, it's a prayer that begins in verse 9 where he says, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. And when I read this prayer, I cannot help but think about the people that he must, be, must have been writing to in Philippi. Many of you remember how the Philippian church was established 
uh, the 16th chapter of Acts tells part of this story. And we actually get the backstory for some of the people that Paul was writing to. Now, remember, this was the city that Paul didn't want to go to. Well, I'm not sure he didn't want to go there, but he wasn't planning to go there. The Spirit moved Paul in certain ways and wouldn't let him go some other spots. Then in the middle of the night, he gets this vision, this call to go over to Macedonia. He goes, and then he starts meeting the most fantastic people that I believe were part of the church. So he ends up at a little prayer time on the beach in Philippi. And remember the woman's name, Lydia? She was a godly woman that didn't yet know what there was to know about Jesus. And she just embraced Paul, wanted him to be part of her family, and was one of his great, one of his great supporters, and apparently was a woman of wealth. So there was Lydia. And then remember the, the slave girl? The slave girl that was, uh, uh, had an uh, evil spirit in control of her and would, would follow Paul around. I actually love this part of the story because, you know, the devil doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing in big terms, and he really doesn't usually know what he's doing in little terms. He's just trying to pest, be a pest. So this slave girl you know, possessed of an evil spirit, followed Paul around. You know, he didn't know who he was dealing with. Followed Paul around, tormenting him, and finally Paul had had enough, turned around and said, sorry, you're gone, the evil spirit took off. And Paul actually got in big trouble in the town because the people who owned this slave girl were making a lot of money, and he ended up in prison beat up in prison as a result. So there's a slave girl. I cannot help but imagine that she was in the church. So here's the slave girl that Paul's writing to. Now become a follower of Jesus. And then, remember, who's the other person we get introduced to in Philippi? He ran the jail, the jailer. And in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas were singing hymns. There was a big earthquake. The jailer came in because the doors were all open. Sure, everybody had taken off and discovered Paul was still there. said, don't take your life. He was ready to commit suicide. He knew he'd lose his life if he lost his prisoners. And Paul says, don't take your life. We're still here. And that jailer was so shaken by the whole experience impressed, no doubt, by the hymns that Paul was singing, that he fell on his knees and he became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. So to these kind of people, people who have been terribly abused and misused like that slave girl, people like Lydia, people of wealth and influence, and people like uh, that jailer, you know, an important person in town, but still somebody that is answerable to others. To those kind of people, Paul prays this prayer, may the love abound, your love abound more and more. And then he gives some specific ways. First of all, in knowledge and depth of insight. So it's like Paul is saying, I want God to give you this gift, this gift of overflowing love. What does the church need today more than this gift of overflowing love? We're not on the defensive in any way in terms of our culture, although often people would like to place us there. If our, if our purpose in life is simply to figure out a way to love people and then to do it. So this overflowing love, and I can imagine Lydia saying, oh, that's what I want, I've got all the money I need, but I'm dealing with 
high-powered people that are trying to put me in a corner, and I need to know how to love them. Or he goes on to say, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I'm thinking, now now Paul is saying, I want you to have sort of like a blameless character. And I'm thinking about that slave girl. Like, what did she experience during those times of her slavery, filled with an evil spirit? What kind of memories of abuse must have been in her heart? And here Paul is saying to people like her, I want you to have this gift of this love, this love that knows how to make good decisions and knows, knows how to experience the best of love, of life. But also, I want you to have this blameless character. And how do we get blameless character? It's because of the forgiveness of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So this gift, it's, it's almost like Paul is praying and say, saying, oh, that God would give you these gifts. Or then he goes on and finally says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And when I imagine this Philippian jailer, don't you love to try to imagine these people in the Bible that you know so little about? I imagine him as somebody who could really take responsibility in life. He had to run the jail. He knew how to work the community. He had political influence, whatever it took to become a jailer. And yet, I could imagine often in life he's saying to himself, what real fruit of righteousness is there in my life? How am I really making a difference in isn't this good news to people like us? If our background isn't like the slave girl or like Lydia, it's like probably like the Philippian jailer. To people like us, God says, what I began in you, I will complete. Just hold on to me. Just remind yourself you're my slave. Just keep in contact with the... With, with the family of faith. And then let me give you these marvelous gifts that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. I wonder if there's one of those gifts that you would like. Overflowing love. Blameless character. Righteous fruit. I want all of them. But maybe as we share communion this morning, there's one of them that comes to your mind and heart. It's not always easy to believe Philippians 1.6, that, that the God who started something in us is going to bring it to completion. That is not always easy to believe. But let me tell you, if we trust him, he'll do it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Paul in the cauldron of um, culture that was his, certainly as challenging as ours. He had this confidence. And, and we want to live in that confidence. Lord, we don't want to be Pollyanna. We know the problems we face today are huge. But we, don't, we want to be problem solvers. We do not want to be addicted to problems and their difficulty. We want to have the kind of confidence in what you're doing that will keep us loving and firm and intentional regardless of life situations. We 
thank you that that is what you want to. And so this morning as we celebrate Holy Communion, speak again to us. And if that's, there's one of these gifts that, that Paul prayed for for the Philippians that we especially need today, may we experience it. Thank you for the reality of your love, your power in our lives, we pray. Amen. Thank you.